The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. Now, this week is the 25th anniversary of the death of Princess Diana in that car crash in Paris. And we're joined um, by uh, Richard Fitzwilliams to talk about the legacy uh, that Princess Diana left and continues to leave because she is obviously influential in the lives of her children and still a significant figure in uh, British um, society and in uh, British public discourse, even 25 years after her death. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Uh, yes, you're quite right. Indeed, Harry has just paid tribute to her, uh, saying that uh, she will never be forgotten and did incredible work and was tireless in her support, especially, he mentions, uh, those experiencing HIV-AIDS. He'd taken part in a polo match for Centibale. That means forget-me-not, which was her favourite flower. And you get the sense that both boys are significantly influenced in their own lives by her, probably particularly Harry. You do indeed. And of course, I think what we can directly link to Diana, and uh, this is, I think, part of her legacy. For example, both William and Harry have done so much for those uh, suffering from illnesses linked to mental health. I mean, this is something that previously hadn't been uh, supported, and I think that this this is very, very significant. I mean, there were a variety of changes, I think. Firstly, obviously, as we all know, although they were both good parents, the marriage between uh, Charles and Diana was a nightmare, and one of the reasons for that was the fact that Charles couldn't marry anyone other than an aristocrat, a royal, or someone with what was then termed a past of William marrying for love when marrying Catherine, and of course Harry marrying Meghan. That was a huge change. The royal family has become more accessible. It would have changed, as an institution, it changes anyway. It's not easy to be absolutely precise as to what you could link to Diana, but there's no question she did change the royal family, and as we know, when she so tragically died in that fateful accident, uh, the outpouring of grief was unprecedented. She did cause a lot that would previously have been behind closed doors to be seen publicly, Whether and there's obviously a lot of significant debate about whether she did that actively or whether she was a victim of the process by which that happened. But is it fair to say that that was a significant catalyst in the changing of the way the public viewed the royal family? Indeed, yes. And of course, you're looking back at the 1990s, which was a nightmarish decade for them. I mean, if you consider Diana was behind as well, we know the Morton book. And of course, there was Panorama, which was so tragic because she was deceived. I think that she would have given an interview in any case because it was, after all, one of the world's most uh, high profile job interviews. She thought she'd be a wonderful ambassador for Britain. And I think she would have been. But equally, Martin Bashir's role in it has been excoriated and rightly, as has the BBC's in their cover up subsequently. But there's no question it was a very, very painful period. This was the War of the Waleses and both Charles and Diana taking to the airwaves and using various uh, photo opportunities to make 
points. I mean, it was desperately destructive. Diana was a deeply complex individual. She was so unhappy in her private life that she was able so magically to reach out to others, though lifting the stigmas I mentioned to uh, the HIV AIDS uh, sufferers, uh, her campaign against landmines, which became a treaty posthumously, uh, her work for the homeless, uh, for lepers, and so forth. I mean, she was, in that sense, absolutely unique, and of course, was the world's most glamorous woman. The problem, and this was a very serious issue, her relationship with the press was symbiotic, because to get publicity for her good work, there had to be a certain amount of cooperation, and this had fateful consequences in the sense that in those days, of course, and one of the legacies has been the virtual eradication, not total, but virtual of the um, paparazzi who were lower than vermin, and of course, whose activities contributed towards her, her tragic death. Is, is it overly generous, Richard, to attribute her symbiotic relationship, the side that she actively fostered with the press, as being driven entirely by altruism for charitable cause? One got the sense at the time that at least some of it was a desire to control her own public image. It was. It was, as I say, she was deeply complex. And if you read the details... And also, I mean, she wasn't easy. If you contradicted her, you very often uh, were cut from her, those she would be in contact with. Uh, She was deeply needy, and also she believed fatefully. Remember that she didn't wear a seatbelt on the fateful night of that crash. Um, She believed she had no police protection uh, from the security services because she believed uh, that um, they were far from friendly. And a lot of this does date back not only to her personal fears, but also to the lies that Bashir, uh, well, she believed that that was a confirmation, what he said. I mean, there's no question that it, it is a very, very complex story. There is also no doubt that an image remains. It was next to impossible to take a bad picture of a, of a photograph. Interesting that her beauty was rarely captured on canvas. You mentioned the outpouring of grief uh, after her uh, death. I, I suspect for many people, it's a bit like the thing of the the assassination of JFK. There are people who will remember where they were when the news broke because it was so significant. But to some extent, it was surprising in the sheer scale of it afterwards. I mean, even the royal family, I think, were taken by surprise to find people uh, camped effectively outside Balmoral, huge public pressure to fly the flag at half-mast over Buckingham Palace, which which just simply wasn't done and had never been done before. Why do you think her death touched such a public nerve? I think, if you put in a sentence, I think people felt she was badly treated, especially by Charles. Uh, There's also the fact that people knew she'd done so much for charity, and again, she was absolutely... amazing when it came to her beauty, her image, and so forth, and the way 
people responded to her. Having said that, I mean, it was completely unprecedented. You're quite right. And indeed, monarchy acts when it comes to precedent. The Queen was in Balmoral. She was fortunate that Tony Blair, whose people's princess soubriquet, I think, summed up the national mood. They're not, of course, the mood of everyone. Uh, there is no doubt at all that it was a, an extraordinary situation that was developing in London, and it did need a royal response once the Queen had returned and gave an address to the nation after the uh, certainly after the uh, funeral Hal Spencer's uh, oration was greeted by unprecedented clapping as uh, everyone will recall um, things did virtually return to normal and it is quite extraordinary that Camilla Charles's then mistress uh, no doubt that I think at that time, had you said that Charles would be married to her within eight years, that would have been thought uh, simply fantastic. Yet, although he was undoubtedly um, very, very heavy-handed in his approach to public relations when he and Diana uh, were taking to the airwaves, to make life difficult for each other. Uh, there's no question at all that he handled the rehabilitation of Camilla, who was non-negotiable in his life, um, expertly, that they were married, as I say, within a relatively short period afterwards, only eight years, um, would have been thought, I think, fantastical at the time of uh, Diana's death. And likewise, I would think many would have thought it fantastical that the uh, Queen would be able to return herself to a position of such public popularity that at the Jubilee she would be treated as a national tre treasure because to, uh, to a great extent she was seen as, if not the, at least one of the devils of the peace at the time. Well, uh, curiously enough, although uh, this is much debated, when the Queen returned from Balmoral, once she addressed the nation, uh, it was the Queen people wanted to see. Yes, the Queen had found Diana very difficult, and there's no doubt, I think, that although she and Prince Philip did attempt to mediate, uh, it came to nothing simply because uh, the mismatch was so bad. What should have happened, of course, and was happening in Norway and Sweden, crown princes making it absolutely clear to um, pretty sclerotic uh, royal families that when they found a partner who they fell in love with. It didn't matter what the background was. That wasn't the case in Britain. And of course, it's quite extraordinary that Charles and Diana had only gone out about a dozen times uh, before the marriage. Uh, it was something that, especially considering how grand it was and how spectacular it was, there's no doubt at all that although they were both good parents, and both William and Harry owe a great deal to both of them, uh, they were, it was a, a complete mismatch. They hadn't the same friends. Well, the age indeed. Was so and and as you, and I think as you put it earlier, Richard, it, the mismatch that turned into a nightmare. Richard, thank you very much for coming on. That Richard Fitzwilliams, uh, royal commentator, uh, talking there about this being the week of the twenty fifth anniversary of Princess Diana's death. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.